Hi there, welcome to the program for Thursday. This is uh, Cross Cultural Talk with 30 Tennis, Gary Michaels. It's our ADR program, and if uh, you've been listening to Chin over the past couple of days, you've been hearing promos talking about a very special show uh, with One Voice Movement today. And Ernie, this is going to be terrific, but before we get into this program, which we uh, uh, recorded a couple of weeks ago with these wonderful young people, uh, we have a couple of phone guests, but you have a few things to say first. Yeah, we just have uh, two or three minutes, and welcome, uh, Taisir uh, Abu Nasser and Corey Schuster. You're both on the phone? Yeah. Yes, hi, Ernie. Thank yeah, you. Hi. We have. We, uh, thank you very much with the uh, potluck for peace. I just want to take one minute myself, and then I'm going to pass it over to you, Taisir, to give the background on how the One Voice Movement came to Ottawa, and then maybe mention a few uh, seconds on what happened at the event at St. Paul, and then maybe, Corey, you can pick up on how you helped c- bring the collaborators together and your comment on it, and then Gary will introduce the show. But I want to, stay at, I want to start with, uh, we have uh, listeners in um, Palestine and Israel, so in Hebrew and Arabic, I'm going to try to say Shalom, Lima Al-Zanin, Be Israel, and Tahia Lumastamayin Fi Philistine. We have guests from all over the world. We have guests um, Esther from Holland, Melinda from Thailand. We have the Canadian family from Australia, Beverly from the States, the Colossi Group, and of course Ambassador John McDonald in International uh, Multitrack Diplomacy Institute. And so we have a worldwide audience today for this. And if I could pass it over to you to tell us, uh, Tazir, how this event happened with the One Voice Movement and to thank uh, them for coming. Addie's sister, Dali, is listening in Palestine and Lyra and Gail and the International Director of the One Voice Movement. They're all listening in. Tazir, can you give the background and uh, take it over to Corey? As uh, part of the uh, dialogue group that we have here in Ottawa, Potlucks for Peace, which is a dialogue group between Jews and Arabs in Ottawa, I have uh, somehow got onto the email list of One Voice, and I heard of a special initiative that they were running in uh, Israel and Palestine, basically challenging people to say what they would do for peace, as opposed to talking to them about peace and the possibilities of peace. The question was, what would you do for peace? And people were signing up across the land over there on both sides to indicate what it is that they, as as a regular individual, can do for peace. And that uh, took me as a a really uh, powerful way of getting the message across that we're not just talking about it. I, as a person, am going to commit to do something specific for peace. And when I received the email, I forwarded it to the the whole uh, group in uh, Potlucks for Peace as an example of collaboration uh, over there. And then Corey picked it up from there and took it on upon himself to contact them and see if if they were doing a tour or something. And we got lucky that they were indeed coming to Canada and we managed to organize for them to come to Ottawa specifically. Great. Yep. Corey, can you say what happened from there? Yeah, and uh, from there I contacted, contacted uh, One Voice, and it turned out that there was also a group called One Voice Ottawa, which is a group of students at Ottawa and Carleton University um, who are active in, in getting the two communities together. Um, we had both we collaborated in our effort to try to bring this about at St. Paul University, and uh, the results were, were terrific. Uh, we had uh, over 200 people at St. Paul University come to hear One Voice speak Wow. You guys uh, really pulled this thing together. Corey, Tizier, congratulations to both of you. And uh, on behalf of Chin Radio, uh, we are all about uh, diversity, multiculturalism, uh, getting to respect and understand one another. And I must tell you, uh, with Ernie, uh, two weeks ago, we uh, we uh, witnessed what these young people are, 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 are attempting to do. As you said, Tizier, instead of talking about peace, what are you willing to do about peace? And I think it's absolutely uh, imperative uh, that we uh, uh, that we hear what these young people had to say, and it's a very uh, important program. And I'm delighted that uh, you were able to bring this all together for us. I thank you so much. Thank you. Guys. You're very very welcome. And uh, Ernie, this is our 97th show. 97th show on alternative dispute resolution. And uh, thank you to Chin Radio for having this uh, played internet worldwide. Wonderful. So, uh, without further ado, let's listen to these wonderful young people. One voice movement on Chin Radio 97.9. Welcome to Chin Radio 97.9 in Ottawa. This is our cross cultural talk program and our Thursday program as usual. Co-hosted by myself, Gary Michaels, and Ernie Tannis on ADR, Alternative Dispute Resolution. And today on our program, we have some very talented young people who are doing a very special thing. And Ernie, I'm just going to turn the mic over to you and uh, let you introduce our special guests today. Thank you, Gary Michaels, as we do another show on Alternative Dispute Resolution. This show is... uh been pre-recorded for future playing and we'll let people know uh, when they can hear it over the internet worldwide 
Thanks very much to the people from uh, the One Voice Movement for being here today. We have uh, three people with us, and we're going to get to know them. Uh, Maryam Aznis. Uh, Marian, welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. And um, Marian is uh, with the um, international, she's the ed- international Education Program Director of uh, the One Voice Movement, which has a website. I believe the website is silentnolonger.org. Um, That's not our website. Oh, okay. I looked up silentnolonger.org, and I got... Uh, One Voice Movement. Excellent. It's actually www.onevoicemovement.org. Oh, and I found it there too. I, both of them uh, took it there. It's interesting, eh? Excellent. Okay, onevoicemovement.org, right? Very good. And we have um, with us too, uh, Adi Labadi. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. And uh, now, Miriam, you're here from Boston, right? Um, I'm originally from Boston. I work in our small PR and fundraising office in New York. In New York, okay, nice, nice big city in New York, and Ottawa is like a big village here. And this is your first time in Ottawa. It is my first time in Ottawa. Well, welcome. And um, Addy, you um, are from Janine. Uh, you just finished high school. They are younger, Gary. Not young, right? Or yes. only older and younger. We're never you old and young. Um, and Addy, uh, we'll get to know more about you. And this is your second time in Ottawa. Yeah. Well, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, Leanne Gal? Yeah. Yes, welcome. And um, now, Addie is a young 19. Uh, you're not supposed to say a woman's age, but she didn't mind mentioning this. No, that I'm proud. I'm almost 26. Almost 26. <laughs> well, yeah. my daughter's 28, and uh, Gary and I have adult children. We're Gjiddos. It's great fun. Uh, welcome. Uh, you're from, um, you were going to Ben Gurion University. You're in political science, uh, and you've been active and studying uh, Israeli history. And you're both here for 10 days for this One Voice Movement tour that you're doing here. Mm-hmm. So why don't we put a context for our listeners? We could start with Marion, if you don't mind, Marion, uh, maybe on two fronts. One, um, a little bit more about your personal background. What led you to become the International Education Program Director of the One Voice Movement? Um, I understand that you're here under sponsorship by a number of sponsors, including Potluck for Peace, and I'll describe more how the connection through Potluck for Peace uh, came about uh, when we air the program in the future. The National Jewish Campus Life, Solidarity for um, Palestinian Human Rights at Ottawa University and Carleton University, the Jewish Students Association, JSA Halal Ottawa, and the St. Paul University Conflict Studies, where there's an event going on on Monday night, November 20th, the day that we're pre-recording the show. And these organizations are sponsors. Um, but maybe we can start with you, Mary, maybe your, your own journey and how you got here. Talk about the organization. Sure. Um, well, I ju- began working with One Voice two months ago on September 5th, um, which is a very important day for me because um, I'd been in the Middle East for the past two years working with various organizations studying But I really wanted to come back and work with my own community in North America and be able to bring my interest in the Middle East and in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict into a more local setting and uh, give people tools with which to interact with this conflict, but on their home turf. Oh, very good. And what, what, what personally, um, can, what's your personal background that compelled you to do that? Is there, I always like to find out what is in a person's uh, inner spirit, you know, to, you know, everybody gets up in the morning, they want to make a difference, not, not a buck. What, what brought you here? Well, I can tell you one moment that sort of brought me here. Um, I was brought up um, in Boston, and I learned Hebrew from a young age. And I began learning Arabic as a result of a meeting I had with a young student named Dima Arafa. She was a student with me at Harvard University. And um, we had a conversation my sophomore year where I realized that we had two different narratives. And I wanted to learn more about Mm -hmm. the narrative that I didn't learn. And um, I began studying the Arabic language with her. And um, we're still friends. And she's very much sort of the beginning of my journey into seeing what um, other Palestinian Americans um, think about the conflict, what people in Palestine, both Palestinian Israelis and Palestinians living in the West Bank and Gaza, think about this conflict. And um, I consider myself, you know, very much a citizen of the United States. That's where I'm from. That's where I, I see myself raising a family. But um, I do feel that this conflict affects us in many different ways. And so for me, it's very important to dedicate part of my life to increasing understanding between people in the diasporas about what's going on over there and to give them sort of productive ways to be involved that work towards a shared vision of the future and don't get sort of mired in um, disagreements about what happened in the past. 
Well, that's a wonderful philosophy. You know, there's one language which is a language of peacemaking, caring, loving that we all want to that we all feel inside. But there's also the uh, language of how we communicate. Like you speak English very well. It sounds like you speak some Arabic. Do you speak another language? Uh, I speak Hebrew as well and Spanish. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, well, that's great. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the um, One Voice movement. I have here from the website our goal. One Voice aims to amplify the voice of the overwhelming but heretofore silent majority major moderates who wish for peace and prosperity, empowering them to demand accountability from selected representatives and ensure that the agenda is not hijacked by forces of militant absolutism. It's quite a broad goal. It's something we could talk about again in our second segment, but can you tell a little bit more about this organization since its its inception, as I understand, in 2002 as a grassroots movement, uh, maybe how it's structured um, and how it's um, organizes itself Sure. Well, the One Voice Movement was, was, as you said, founded in 2002, which was the height of the Second Intifada. It was founded by two men. One is a Mexican Jew named Daniel Abetsky. The other is a Palestinian named Mohammed Darausche. And together, they wanted to create a model for understanding why it is that consistently the public discourse is hijacked by people who are extremists. And the way we define an extremist organizationally is someone who would deny the humanity of the other side, who would work and use violent means to ensure that any sort of conflict resolution process does not take place and who would deny the other side's right to exist. And um, Mohammed and Daniel wanted to create a model for understanding why, even though the people who meet that definition are few and far between, they have an inordinate amount of attention and they get, um, they're able to sort of sway people to understand what they're talking about better than the moderate majority who actually does want conflict resolution. The public opinion polls that these two men and One Voice conducted in 2002 and since have shown that there is always a majority on both sides who want conflict resolution, who want two viable states. And the model they created for understanding why this majority is always silent is that extremists are very committed to what they do and they're willing to act in extreme ways. And we're trying to empower moderates to be moderate in their opinions, but to act in extreme and positive ways. Um, And secondly, the media, of course, pays more attention to an extreme message than one of conflict resolution and people who are looking forward towards a period of peace. And so we're trying to make that as um, attractive and sexy to people and and to the media so that we're, we're able to become louder than the voices of those extremists. Okay, well, thank you for that uh, general context. And, uh, Lorraine, maybe I could, uh, as Addie said, you know, ladies first, you know, it's part of the great Arabic tradition to be respectful to the women. I, and uh, isn't that right, Gary? He's got a Lebanese background, too. Of course. Um, I'll salute for this. <laughs> uh, maybe uh, for our listeners, uh, you could tell a little bit of you know, your story, um, uh, what compels you to do this, your own personal journey, how you ended up on this tour, and we'll give you uh, some quality time, and then Addie can do the same thing, so our listeners will, will hear you. Thank you very much. Um, so as you told, my name is Liran Gal, I am 26-year-old, I'm from Israel, and since I remember myself, all the years I uh, did things that connected to education, I spent my la- most of my youth in a youth movement and uh, the scouts. Uh, most of my years, uh, most of the years, I was a counselor, educating people and uh, getting the- getting them getting involved in their society. Um, I had a really really normal child- childhood, and everything seems to be really right and set exactly in the place. I remember that in '95, my prime minister Yitzhak Rami was assassinated, and things began to crack a little bit inside of me. Started asking myself questions. And I couldn't understand how come a Jewish person, a a person from my nation, could actually kill my prime minister. And it turned me to be a little bit more of a political creature, starting to read in the newspaper and understanding the situation. Uh, A little bit bit after Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated, uh, there was a lot of suicide bombing in Israel. And I remember growing up, and everything was good where I grew up, but it was kind of a little bit scary to walk through, to go on buses to Israel because you were afraid from someone who looks a little bit weird, a little bit stranger. Um, but I was fortunate and no one that I knew uh, was actually was killed in this uh, suicide bombing. But what I realize now is that back then I wasn't really interested in what's happening in the other side. And the only image of a Palestinian guy, I didn't imagine the girls at all, women at all, was the faces of suicide bombers. 
I didn't understand the history, the culture, the stories. I wasn't interested in that because it wasn't a part of my life. Growing up, after finishing my senior year, I went to do a volunteering year in a low socioeconomical city in Israel. And after that, I went to the army. I spent one year and nine months in the army and the Air Force. And after that, I went to South America. A lot of Israel go to South America to mm. find the meaning of life. It's really, really common. Mm. And um, I had the most amazing seven months. And at the end of my trip, um, I, went, I was in Rio de Janeiro, and then I went to an, an internet cafe. And like most Israelis, I opened the website of the news. And I remember seeing there um, that a soldier and an officer from the paratroopers uh, were killed in Hebron. And when you're in Israel, you always have a relative in the army. Maybe it's your neighbor, your cousin, your brother, your sister. And you always have this a little bit worry inside of you. So I really hope they don't know the names. And then I read a little bit down the lines, and I saw the name Amir Benarieh. Amir was a good friend of mine. We grew up together from the fifth grade. And I remember that all the powers from my body was taken away from me. I went to the, to the phone box. I couldn't even dial the number to call my parents. They couldn't reach me before. And going back to Israel, everything was about Amir remembering him to his honor. And after, after a while, I went to the university. And I want to make something clear. All of my life, I grew up on a very specific narrative. Um, this narrative included that the Jewish people had been through the Holocaust. Six, mi- six million people were killed. Uh, we came to Israel. We got our country at 48. We had the 67 war, the 73 war. Everything was really, really clarified for me. I never really understood what's happening on the other side. I never heard the story. I didn't, I didn't have a communication with Palestinian people at all. Just want to add that I have an Arab village five minutes from my home. And I remember going to the university, starting to hearing new stories, new narratives. Specifically, I'm learning the history of Israel, and then you hear all kinds of new stories from different historian people. And just then I understand, and I ask myself the questions, I mean, there's a whole nation living like one minute for me, with stories, with faces. Mm-hmm. Till then, I didn't really want to see the faces, see the stories, understand the culture. And then I started asking myself a lot of questions, and I didn't get the answer. So just then I met one voice, and um, one voice offered me the opportunity to be a part of an organization to do several things. First of all, they gave me the opportunity to actually start to understand what's happening on the other side. And that there is, with recruiting enough people from both Palestinian side and Israeli side to make this conflict end and to actually pressure our government, we're a grassroots movement. And our purpose is to actually recruit as much people as we can, people that want to say enough. And um, this is why I'm here. I believe in the idea of the movement. I'm here because I want to change. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to sound a little bit weird for you, but this was the first time in almost 26 years that I'm actually spending time with a Palestinian guy, telling jokes with him, having mm-hmm. fun with him. And it's amazing. And if Adi and I can do it, the nation of Israel can do it, and the Palestinian people can do it together. Wow. <laughs> How's that sound, Gary? I um, that's great. That's beautiful. Uh, I'm, I'm sure um, uh, everybody felt the um, the passion of that. Uh, and uh, Eddie's going to tell his story, but uh, you know, I was um, thinking lately um, about a, a quote that came to me: "That war is good business for the few, but peace is better business for the many." And um, I like to get but more and more. That's making more sense to me. And uh, what you're doing is very inspiring. So, you know, we we'll get into the the um, implementation of some of the programs later on in the show. I'd like to talk about, um, as uh, Marianne talked about, the general context. And you told your story. We'll hear Addy's story and see how uh, people can further implement this. So, Addy, I hear you're uh, you've helped you've got a new friend here. Yeah. from uh, what they call the other side and we're all on one side it looks like right well in the, we're on the same side actually it's yeah. not so Andy why don't you tell us uh, maybe your story your upbringing where the village you're from um, what kind of experiences you had maybe if you have any other similar experiences on how you started thinking differently how you got involved with the one voice movement and so on well I'm uh, I'm from Palestine I'm from Jenin Palestine and I'm uh, living there for 11 years now. 
Uh, I lived before the Intifada and after the Intifada, and I experienced experienced both lives before and after the Intifada. And I had a lot of experience and stories in the in 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 Palestine and in, 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 in the Intifada. Well, before before the Intifada started, life for me was so so uh, great. I I used to have fun as a kid. I used to go out, play with other kids, football. Uh, basketball any all kinds of games but after the intifada started life became getting hard hard it's like there is nothing to do there is no way to 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 uh, to just relieve what you have or just relax everything uh, life start being like curfew every day there's curfew 10 days curfew one day free so uh, life start being just staying at home there's uh, uh, no way of getting out and if, they, if it's possible to go out you, you're allowed to go out for two or three hours in the afternoon but after it uh, you should be home because after 7pm uh, it wouldn't be safe to be outside because of the tanks and the army which what which goes goes into Jenin and because of the uh, heavy fires that start that happens in Jenin so you, you should be home it's, it wouldn't be safe for you to be outside and uh, in in Palestine, I experienced a lot of stories. A lot of my friends get killed. A lot of people I know get shot. Uh, had I had a lot of uh, experiences in Jenin, and I would uh, I would like to share with you one of my personal stories. Uh, well, w- once I was uh, I was in it was in two thousand and three that I was walking with my, some of my friends in Jenin. And Jenin is uh, it's not that big city. It's like 10 minutes from north to south. So I was uh, w- w- walking downtown with some of my friends. We were like just playing around. I wasn't like, we, we had nothing to do. It's, it was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon and we were walking towards the camp. And the second thing we noticed is like there's tanks and there's army coming behind us. And people just start running away and we we didn't actually know what to do so we we just start running trying to uh, avoid the tanks and uh, trying to avoid the situation and heavy fire starts going around us and we start seeing people just running and seeing uh, and hearing uh, heavy guns going around so we we uh, we start running and the next thing we notice is my friend one of my friends that were with me is shot mm. so we 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 were like so much uh not not uh, afraid or not knowing what what's going on so we tried to help him but he, the the guns were so heavy so uh we uh, I, like in the in in like in no time after my friend was shot I was like talking with him, trying to do something in no time. I noticed that I'm shot. Like I feel that there's something hit me, and I'm the ground bleeding too. Mm. And we we actually stayed uh, in the ground bleeding for two and a half hours because the uh, ambulance wasn't able to wasn't allowed to to come and take us because of the heavy fire and because the soldiers didn't allow them to come, so didn't allow the ambulance to come. So after. After it, we, after this two and a half hours, we went to the hospital, and I was so much uh, afraid, and I needed to see my parents. So I told most of the people I know in the hospital, please call my parents. And I didn't actually see my parents until until five hours has passed. Mm -hmm. And when I asked them why, they were like, nobody told us. Nobody was able to call my family and tell them that your son is shot except after I've done the surgery and after I was, they, they made sure I'm okay. So after this thing happened to me, I, uh, all my life changed. I had this 180% change in my life. I started thinking in a different way. Uh, I started like asking myself questions. Why is, uh, this, is that happening to us? Why is, why should I be shot like, with f- for no reason, just for being in the street, uh, it was it was for me. It's like you're you're in jail for no reason. So, uh, in in two thousand and in two thousand and six, um, actually a month ago, 
my sister t- uh, talked to me about the One Voice organization and told me what what uh, that she is with with One Voice and told me what One Voice is doing. So I I said I thought about it and I said yeah this this is this organization might be something that it, it might help me to say what I have to, what I have to say or it might I might do something in this organization and we might just do something to stop this conflict because as as you all know it's life is her- horrible there for both sides not for us only so it's like mm-hmm. uh we, we're uh, so i became, i volunteered with this organization and i'm 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 here now w- with the one voice trying to do something trying to get people to understand uh, the conflict and the way to end this conflict and that's that's it i guess well these two um individual stories are very very compelling i sort of one thing that c- comes to mind as a as a question and it's 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 not possible for me to even pretend that i could understand um what it must be like to live through that i can i think we can all empathize with it and support the principles and that's what brings us together as one people when i was in lebanon for the first time with my wife yumna ismail uh, i'm glad i went two years ago and uh i was looking around and you see pictures of people that have um you know, fought for their cause, and on all sides, people fight for a cause. I mean, in all nations, there's armies and soldiers, all believe fighting for some cause, and there's big, apart from the economics behind it and other agendas, which is not the topic of this show, it's been the topic of many other shows, a lot of the time, these so-called extremists will play on the emotions of the feelings of revenge or... um, finding, you know, some sense of helplessness when you see something so why is it? And I've seen movies about this, you read about it, but if I could ask both of you, because you both have told your stories, and Marion, you can maybe contribute from what other things you've uh, heard about or seen or people that you work with. Why is it that some people can choose like a, at a crossroads a path of uh, reconciliation as opposed to a path of revenge or a path of um, sort of peacekeeping instead of a, of a path of... Um, punishing like these are individual decisions we make as children of god in our own lives with our own backgrounds i'm just wondering did you reflect on that or was it instinctive i'll just maybe start with you Lorraine, and ask you addy um before before answering i would like to share something with you an article that i read a couple of days ago um bet hanun is a city in Palestine. sterot is a city in israel both towns are really close together kasamim are falling on sterot every day a woman uh, got killed, and two young people were injured really hard. Uh, two weeks ago, 19 people were killed in Bet Hanun from a mistake missile of uh, the IDF. Both cities are low socioeconomic cities. A lot of inempl- unemployed people I- are there. People don't have the money to run away. Both cities, when getting injured, are getting into the cycle of hatred. Because when 19 people from one family in Bet Hanun are getting are killed by a mistake missile of the IDF, Israeli Army Defense Force. 19 families and 19 relatives are hating more and more. Mm-hmm. And when a woman is getting, sh- and, and when a woman is, and I'm not speaking about what's more horrible, because when people are getting killed, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. The number counts, but the issue is, is how we stop it. Mm-hmm. And people need to understand that when things like this going on, more and more people are getting into the circle of hatred. And I think that we are, as intelligent creature, have the choice in life to choose what's, be- what's good for us. And I think that Adi, and I know for myself, wants a better future for our children. Because our parents are, they're older, they're, it's like they're most skeptical about the situation. And this is why it's so important to speak to youth to speak to young people, because it's, it's going to be our future we're speaking about, our children. And there's a, there's a famous sentence in Israel, when a child is, is being born, his parent says, oh, I wish he won't go to the army. Mm. And I bet that the same thing on the other side, like not in the IDF sense, but uh, the same thing is being said when a child is born in Palestine. And we're here because we, we have the choice and we want to do it differently. And um, I'm glad that I have this opportunity that one voice is offering me. 
Well, you know, you have what we think is the next generation talking about the next generation already, Gary. It's uh, it's really something, and you know, thank you for sharing that. Uh, would you like to comment about this this individual choice? Because in a situation that you were in, and she's described about the cycle, and I mean, many nations have gone through this. Some social scientists have studied all the thirty nine wars and found one common denominator: unemployed men. I mean, it's a question of poverty and inequality that is the deep-rooted cause, but when it comes to an individual choice, you know, Andy, when you had your experience, you said you turned 180 degrees, and just like Loran talked about what she felt, did you have a, a challenge to take a different path in terms of responding to your wounds, your people's wounds, or was it, what was it about you that took you here? Well, as I said, after I, I was shot, I... I I was just changed 180%. Before it, I never thought of like interfering in in this whole uh, conflict that we're we have. It's like okay, we had a conflict. I wish it will end, but I never thought that I I would be a part of of it, or uh, I would in I would participate in trying to end it or trying to do something towards it. And after I, I said after I get shot, I I just start thinking of a way to do something because as as uh, Leran said and I agree with her completely I, I, I do want my children to be with the, to be in this and why why am I talking about my children it's not about me because I already lived it so mm. it's I already have this uh, intifada I, li- I already lived the intifada so it's not it's not something uh, new for me but I don't want my children to be on it. I just I would love them to to read about it in the history book, not not to be in it. So that's that's why. That's a very mature thought at nineteen. And I um, I want to bring Mary Ann. Thank you for correcting me. I uh, uh, getting names right is correct. Uh, is very important. Um, I know we're on uh, Chin Radio ninety seven point nine FM Alternative Dispute Resolution. We're going to wrap up our first segment in a couple minutes. But um, Liran, uh, did you want to add something? Yeah. Small comment. Um, being involved in education most of my youth and most of my years, uh, being alive, almost <laughs> 26, I think that education is a very important tool. I think that both in Israel and in Palestine, we don't learn about the other side. Uh, we don't learn the history. Uh, some of the people know the language. And it's important because when you're, when you're knowledgeable, you're smart and you can actually make a change. Well, education is what this program is about, and you've really contributed already. And Miriam, would you like to uh, maybe make a comment as we complete our, our first segment, and we'll come back in the second segment talk about some other activities and uh, implementation of these uh, wonderful thoughts? Um, I think that um, while one voice is not a dialogue group, we have our two independent offices, one in Ramallah and one in Tel Aviv. And our Ramallah office trains young leaders in the West Bank, and our uh, Tel Aviv office trains young leaders all across Israel. Soon we'll have a Gaza office as well to be able to reach out to all of Palestine. But something that has struck me is um, our youth leaders really treasure the, the, the rare chances they get to meet across the Green Line, to meet people from the other side. And I think that making, creating the opportunities for that to happen is important. I think a lot of people tell, come to me, this have come to me this week and said, it's so wonderful that you've been able to help Adi and Liran become friends. And I just laugh because people are people and young people are young people. And it's not hard to become friends. It's hard to be in the situation where you have the opportunity to get to know each other, where you have the opportunity to sit in the same room is very difficult. And I know that they treasure it and I treasure this opportunity to be with them. Well, it makes me think that strangers are really friends who have not yet met. Uh, OneVoiceMovement.org is where people can connect uh, Maryam to be in touch with the organization, to be find out how, how to support and how to learn more and how to be involved. Um, Gary, um, mm-hmm. it's quite a... I think uh, what uh, what I find most, uh, most interesting and revealing is that we have these young people uh, talking about what they've experienced back home. And uh, those of us who grew up in a democratic country such as Canada, we have all the freedoms, and we've had all these freedoms uh, since childhood and before that. And we can walk the streets without any fear. We don't have to concern ourselves about someone coming at us with a, a gun or a rifle and shooting us because we may be of a different 
race or, or creed or what have you. And uh, to have to go through this kind of stress and fear at a young age is really no way, uh, it's not a quality of life that you would want anybody to have. And I, uh, I commend these young people, these young adults, for leading the way in, uh, in showing the world, really, that we can get along. And they're doing their best to, to show folks, hey, you know what, if we can get along, why can't the older folks get along? Why can't the armies get along? I mean, what do we need armies for, for God's sakes? I mean, it's a, it's a dream that, uh, that I've, I've had for a long, long time. And Ernie, you know, many times I've said, if, uh, if we let young people run the world, we wouldn't have any problems at all. Encouraging because they remind us to help point the way, not point the finger. And we'll point to a break right now and come back and uh, get into the what I call the plug in the socket, taking the principles into the processes and the implementation of these things in the real world for the common good. And just a reminder that you are listening to Chin Radio on Ottawa 97.9. You can hear this on uh, the internet at any time of the day or night at www.chinradio.com. And this is our Thursday program with Ernie Tannis, Gary Michaels. Alternative dispute resolution is the topic uh, and has been for uh, for many many weeks now when we will take a brief uh, brief break and we will return with our guests and ernie on chin 97.9 you're listening to 97.9 chin bringing the sounds of the world to your radio chin we're back and added on our program with our very special guests we're trying to teach the rest of the world that we can get along right ernie that we can get along one day at a time, one moment at a time. And what I got to get along with was pronouncing people's names. But as Shakespeare said, that which we call a rose would smell as sweet by any other name. And there's nothing sweeter than our guest with Mediem Asnes from One Voice Movement, Laran Gal and Adi Labadi. Adi's from a Palestinian young person and Laran is Israeli citizen. And um, Mediem has an interesting ancestry and we're going to go back to the one voice movement but i want to put two points in context in the f- short time we have in the second segment which is um the f- fact that in the mohawk territory in aquasasne people will know that near about an hour and a half from here the uh, native people were in their own uh, what the professor ziegler a middle eastern scholar called their own uh, the middle east of north america and they set up a mediation center taking the best of alternative dispute resolution and the best of their native teachings and set up uh, a mediation center where the, uh, the people, the 80% of the people that always want to cooperate can meet, and there's always 5 to 10% on other sides who are extremists that want to destabilize, and that's based on the theoretical models that uh, I learned from Ambassador McDonald, Tom Colosi, Coromato, and Anatole Rappaport's tit-for-tat theory, how cooperators have to have a place to meet so the destabilizers do not destabilize them. That model, to the Mohawks' credit, did work against all odds with hundreds of policemen, and there was military at another location at Oka. It's a, it was a model that actually worked, and it's just one model of following these principles. And I'm wondering, Mediam, um, if you want to comment on, on that, and I think that the... Um, about what the One Voice Movement has uh, themselves used on this, and maybe that can go to the, our other guests to talk about the implementation of these principles. Sure. Well, I think that the similarity that I saw right away was um, in the Mohawk community, it was very important to sideline extremists to make it clear to the general community that even though they had a very loud voice, that voice was not the voice of the majority. So One Voice very much thinks that that is very necessary in both Israel and Palestine, but the way we do it is slightly different. We're an organization that's based, that works within the democratic systems in both places. So we use sort of the will of the majority, showing by numbers that there is a majority that does not agree with the extremist views being aired. We work to strengthen in that majority to make it active. Um, one of the ways that we were able to work within the democratic system was get out the vote campaigns in both Israel and Palestine, which I think Adi and Iran can tell you about. But I think first I would just like to say that the reciprocal effect, when that majority does have a voice, um, more and more extremists actually begin to think, gosh, perhaps I was acting so extreme or I was airing this extreme view because I wanted to do something. And if you create a positive and productive way for someone to do something, you can see that more and more people glom on. I mean, for instance, I think a community that in uh, specifically on the Palestinian side often gets labeled as extremists, those who support Hamas, 
we have young leaders from that movement working in one voice saying that we're we're willing to sign on to the one voice principles of mutual recognition and work within our own movement within our own political movement to change that they they just wanted something that was active that was doing something on the ground and when they saw one voice as that movement they were very willing to jump on but i think that in terms of talking about those campaigns it's better to go to iran and adi because they're the ones working on the ground in israel and palestine okay and i'd like to do that i want to just mention something else i learned when i when i dealt as an outside conflict resolution consultant because it was the people themselves that it's the community that has to create their own processes as bruce galloway said this morning at the national press club but even the so-called extremists they say they're members of the community some of them are not safe to to leave that to go and cooperate so they also needed their own voice and before they destabilize anything they want to know where else they can go so it was one of the uh, teachings i learned there was everyone is a stakeholder even the the people that are elected to represent people that are considered to be extremists they're still stakeholders and there has to be a place at the table for everybody in a safe and secure way so i just want to throw that in and maybe i can maybe go around here and you can mention some of the uh, applications or, or principles that uh, mariana just mentioned yeah um Taking for, taking for an example, the election we had in Israel half a year ago. Um, I think that what's special in one voice that in the same time we work towards peace in the Middle East, um, doing all kinds of all sort of things to promote this idea and actually do something about it. It's a movement that works inside and in domestic issues in both in Palestine and in Israel. Uh, we work to gather the people to be unified and to be aware to what's happened to their society. So half a year ago, we had a sense of apathy in the Israeli public. People were fed up from the government and all the things that were, that were going on in Israel. And one voice uh, sat together and thought what we can do to actually change the situation. So we went through all over Israel and spoke with the young students from north, from north to the south, uh, convincing them that they have no other choice but go out and vote. Um, we in one voice believe in creativity so we made a really great invitation we said you guys you're invited because we want to we want to we wanted to speak in the language of students you guys are invited to be a part of the biggest party in the Middle East seven million people are going to be a part of it the party of democracy uh, we published ad in the internet um, had a drawing of people sitting in the beach and on the other side extremists are going to vote for On their voices and we wanted to people to we wanted people to understand that they should take responsibility for their future and this was a really important thing um, another example that I can give you that uh, a year ago in the summer Israel has been through a very painful process the disengagement from Gaza Strip and you can agree and disagree or disagree of this process of disengagement it's hard more than 7,000 people were um, evacuated from their house and the actual people that had to do it were 18 19 20 years old soldiers young people um, Israel stood in front of almost a civil war and there was a sense of separation in the Israeli society so one voice and sat down again and said we have to do something about it because we're a democracy and we have no other choice and we won't want we don't want people to be separated so we gathered together different youth leaders from political parties in Israel both right-wing and left-wing central religious religious parties uh, we got them signing a proclamation that Israel is a democracy and the government has made it its call and we have no other choice but to stay together and And um, we went out and demonstrated. We had the demonstration of one voice, and then in front of uh, beside us a demonstration of the orange uh, demonstration. These are the ones that wanted uh, to not go through the disengagement. And this is what's beautiful about democracy, but we did a demonstration to show the people there are strong um, society, uh, the majority that thinks that we have no other choice, and we went out and, do, and did something. Well, that's wonderful to me you 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 make another point that reminds me of the conflict resolution approaches that it's one thing to have conflict between different sides but within each side there's this internal conflict that has to be resolved that kind of internal stakeholder conflict resolution which is all part of the pro- the, the process and uh, uh, maybe I you we could uh, maybe add to this part of the conversation uh, building on what you've heard uh, well uh, one voice in, in Palestine it it's working a uh, As, as you know in Palestine we have the silent majority like and the strong minority 
So what One Voice is trying to do is to raise the one voice, to raise the voice of the majority, the silent majority, and encourage them to to do something, not just sit home and relax. So during the elections, the both the parliamentary and the presidential elections, we were so much active as a One Voice organization. We've done non-partisan campaigning to encourage people to go and vote for the party that they think they should uh, vote for. We held town hall meetings all over the cities in in in, in the West Bank. Uh, we had uh, meetings in in the camps with with the people who's who's most affected from this conflict. We talked to them. We tried to confess them with with one voice with one voice organization, and uh, also in the presidential elections, we brought up Al Funun band, which is a famous band in in Palestine, uh, trying to get. In, in a way to get uh, democracy and culture together, and uh, we also had the non-violence activism uh, activities in in Palestine after the the elections, both the uh, the both elections, and also in this uh, uh, activities we we, we did uh, uh, town we we held town hall meetings all over the cities, also trying to encourage people to do something for this situation, to just raise their voice in, an, in any way that they think it's right. And we also had people demonstrating for unity and freedom uh, under the line of one, one, uh, one people, one army, one authority. Well, we're going to um, um, move on from the authority of uh, my program director here to another break, but that's a uh, very uh, powerful um, input and I did. Did you want to mention something else before we go to a break on, on this li- point? Just a little thing. Please. Um, well, I think that what's special about One Voice is we're not a peace and love movement. We're actually taking action in our communities to make it better. Inside of it, uh, taking people involved in different politics. We have a great uh, example of a young woman, Lina Steyer from Salem Village in Palestine. She actually went through uh, One Voice uh, uh, leadership training, and she ran in her village to the municipal uh, elections, and she won. She was the youngest competitor, and she won with the majority of the votes. And this is what we stand for, young people, ideological people that really believe that there's a change can be made. Well, that's very positive. We're going to come back on the third segment about the vision for the future. And Gary, once again, it sounds like it's a ripple that can become a wave to wash away unresolved conflict from the shores of injustice. So we have many ripples in the studio today. And we'll have the waves in the third segment on ADR on Chin Radio 97.9 FM. You're all world station. 24 hours a day. All the time. Seven days a week. Chin Radio 97.9. You're listening to Chin Radio 97.9, and we're back with our special guests and Ernie Tannis on our ADR program from Chin in Ottawa. Ernie? Well, here we are at the vision segment of this uh, show. It's been a remarkable show. Uh, thank the guests very much, and of course, thank all the supporters uh, uh, who help bring vo- One Voice Movement here and, and encourage everyone around the world to continue and support this fine fine group and all the next generation of people that want to support this. We're going to go back around the table in our last segment here about a vision statement of the future uh, for each individual. I found that the three guests here, um, Adi Labadi, who's going to start from Palestine, Laran Gal from Israel, and Mediam Aznes, am I getting it right now? Uh, who's, a, who's the education program director for One Voice, just met recently, and that's another new vision. It's a new dynamic um, so maybe I'll start with you, Adi. We can go around the table, take about a, a minute and a minute and a half each just to talk about your vision for the future. So when people hear this or when you hear it yourself to remind you, and I'd like to just say, what happens if you have an obstacle? What keeps you going? What's your hope? Well, uh, my hope is like to see in, uh, in, in the future is like to, to be able to have a life, of course, because as you all know in Palestine now, there's in this situation, like we're not having a life. So I, uh, what I think is like, to be able to have a life, to be able to move f- freely, to be able to uh, do whatever you want to do in your own country, to be able to go to cafes, to restaurants, to go out at night, in the middle of the night, not f- not feeling unsafe, insecure, just to move freely. Because as you all know, and now what? how is it in Palestine, you cannot move, you cannot go out in, at night, you cannot go to cafes, there is nothing to do in Palestine. So what this is kind of my vision this is what keeps me moving this is what i what i want because i want to i want to see this for my uh, my people i want to feel let them have this feeling of freedom 
Gary, how could anyone not want to see that happen? It's, uh, thank you very much. Yes, um, a vision is a really big thing for me to say, but I think that the most simple thing for me is I want people getting up in the morning and have hope mm. and have something that they uh, can. I want people to have ambition. I want people to have the opportunity to establish what they want to do. And for Palestine, I wish that people would have something to lose because I spoke about with Adi about it a lot. People have the sense that they have nothing to lose. And and it's not about putting the blame on Israel now on uh, or on Palestine, but I think that a human being deserves the right to wake up in the morning and smile, to wake up in the morning and go to school and feel safe, to go to the university. I want Israel and Palestine to exchange information about technology. I want people from Palestine to come in Israel and visit and go to the cinema with me. And um, I think it's all about hope, getting up in the morning and smile, and a mm -hmm. lot of us are not doing it. Well, I think most people will be smiling when they hear this, and uh, that maybe can help be an antibiotic to the smirks that we see in the world. Mediam, please. Um, I believe that this idea of a shared vision is important to one voice, which is why what we're doing now is we're asking Palestinians, Israelis, and members of the international community, what are they willing to do to end the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, and what kind of future would they like to see? I know that you mentioned before economic viability. That's one of the things that we think is most crucial right now. Um, and so some of the commitments we have um, include a micro-lending program in Gaza, which would help some of the people most affected by this conflict get a foot up on a better life. Um, I believe that my vision of the future includes two independent states in Israel and Palestine with diplomatic relations such that, as I think now, Israelis and Palestinians feel very often their pawns for larger conflicts. And I would like to be able to see Palestine and Israel standing together, sta saying that we have a shared future. We have a shared vision of what our region should look like. Um, and I guess my immediate vision for the future is I very much value the opportunity we've had to be in Canada and to have the conversations between Adi and Liran take place here. But I'd like to see a future where that can take place there as well, where that can be something where they can see each other, meet each other, travel to each other's countries, and be able to create this kind of dialogue on the ground where it's most effective, where it should be. Well, thank you. You know, and the guests here remind me that Alternative Dispute Resolution ADR also means a dignified resolution. There's been absolute dignity on this show with all three of you. Thanks again to all of your supporters who brought you here. Thanks for the courage for being here. May your journey be wonderful. And I've learned that there's nothing unimportant in life. Everything is relatively important. But the most important thing is this urge for the common peace. And you certainly give us that encouragement. And thank you, uh, Adi, for talking about the quality of life. And Lorraine, about the freedom and hope. And Pandora's box, the last thing in the box was hope, the only antibiotic there is. And Mediam for the shared vision. And we share your vision. And we uh, support you. And we're all one together. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Chin Radio, for allowing this uh, broadcast and it will be heard over the international community through the World Wide Web in the near future. We'll be announcing that. Thank you all very much. World peace to inner peace. And there's a lot of inner peace in this room here today. And Ernie, let's not forget those people who helped get this off the ground. And as we said at the beginning, potluck for peace. And thank you very much. Case Ganem had initiated that program a long time ago. And it's a good example, Gary. We have a local group collaborating with this international group, local and global. It's the same universal approach. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it together and work together towards the same end. Amen.